Welcome to another episode of the Bioinformatics Lab podcast. I'm Kevin Libwood with Andrew Page. We're both from Theogen, and I forgot exactly <laughs> what our intro is because it's been a little bit, but I think that's clear enough of an intro diving into the topics. I'm calling from Cape Town, South Africa, here for the first annual Phage Conference. So I think we have a lot to talk about in at least two episodes. Uh, in this first one, we'll at least describe what Phage is, maybe talk a little bit about both yours and I's experience in the different working groups and uh, where it's gone over the past four years and what maybe even the future looks like. And then in the second half of this, we can talk, or at least I can give a perspective of what's going on in the conference and kind of the big moves and announcements that have been taking place over the past couple of days. Uh, but even before we start, maybe we can start with the introduction of what Phage is from your side uh, of things, Andrew. Uh, what is Phage and how did you start getting involved in things? Well, it's the Public Health Alliance for Genomic Epidemiology, and there's the number four in the middle to match uh, GA4GH, which is uh, the yes. human equivalent. And uh, yeah, it's just a collection of people worldwide who uh, have a real big interest and passion about public health. And it was decided a few years ago, hey, let's uh, all join up and push in the same direction because it, you know, pathogens know no borders, you know, there's no point in reinventing wheel 20 times. And so it was, they got together a collection of um, public health scientists from around the world and academics and uh, the Gates Foundation put in some seed money to uh, get the secretariat started up. And yeah, the first time I heard of it was well, probably 2019, maybe 2018. I can't yeah. remember. It was before the pandemic, you know, and uh, it spun out of, I think, frustration from GMI, not actually having many outputs at the time and people want practical outputs so you know like say for example i'm in a working group and we look at data standards you know actual usable things we can do like python libraries or specifications you know physical things not well software you know actual outputs that can be of use immediate use to public health what about yourself I got word of it also around 2018 2019 i remember duncan mccannell who was is at the Office of Advanced Molecular Detection, currently the director of that program, made that announcement at the US. I think it was maybe Advanced Molecular Detection Day over there at the CDC. And he talked about this consortium. And at that time, I wasn't really privy to the, a lot of the international goings-ons about things because I was really focused in my role in Virginia. But it was obviously a recognized need of, of collaboration and you know standards, standards across the field and, and all the like. And I was a pretty um, active participant in the U.S. side of things, but I was pumped to see that this organization was started out and had so much backing also from the CDC because I had always wanted to be a part of the international community uh, of practitioners. Um, and it's also worth noting that Gates founded, or rather Gates funded, seed funding from Gates, a lot of CDC, U.S. CDC um, involvement and, and leadership, but then really kind of headquarters, maybe you could say, uh, out here in South Africa. So the principal investigator is Alan Christoffels, who is the director of the South African National Bioinformatics Institute, what I just call SANBI, um, out here. Well, hence, you know, why I'm out here in that, you know, the first conference was out here in, in Cape Town. And yeah, there's obviously a lot of overlapping efforts from a lot of different groups. You know, we've talked about Staff B in the past. We've talked about GMI in the past as well. And, and with Phage, they was that focus of trying to get practical outputs as quickly as possible. And they approached it by defining it into at least five different working groups um, that, that I can at least think of at the top of my head. Um, you already mentioned the one you're involved in from data structures. Uh, there's the workforce development 
working group, data infrastructure. Uh, I know there's ethics and data sharing. And then my involvement came by way of pipelines and visualizations. Uh, and you know, it was 2018, 2019 it was really timely for things to start because uh, we saw the need for international collaboration in full-blown you know, uh, critical spotlight in 2020 uh, during the pandemic. And that's when I really first started doing things because uh, yeah. I was first just a per- invited as a participant to uh, Pipelines and Visualizations work group, given my involvement in Virginia, as I said. And I think it was originally, my working group was originally chaired by Torsten, Torsten Seaman uh, of MDU out there in Melbourne group. I forget who exactly else, someone quite a bit more senior than I was at, at the time. But then Torsten and, and whomever else that was got pulled to their main institutional duties, uh, given their role in, you know, at MDU and otherwise. So there was sort of a, a vacuum uh, of no one was chairing our working group. Uh, and then I got tagged, I think, by Danny Park nominated me to, to chair that working group. So I felt like I was uh, a bit of the imposter syndrome of like, oh, I'm just this bioinformatics scientist from Virginia. I don't know if I can, you know, make value in, in this global conversation. And the other chair on my end was Jamie Southgate, who had very little bioinformatics experience, but he was a secretariat of Phage. So that was my first introduction of like, uh, okay, let me first exposure to the international community and then quickly elevate it to chairs. So uh, over my time has been trying to figure out how do I make use of this working group? And I've been now a chair for for two and a half years and I have a ton to talk about in terms of what I've learned, what we've out generated and outputs, my now role is in how it's changed in Phage. But um, yeah, it was definitely a cold splash of water and to make an international consortiums work for the pipeline. So in my working group, in my working group, uh, it's a data structures working group and Emma Griffiths uh, was, I think, deputy chair, but she took over as chair very quickly because, yeah. you know, people have different responsibilities and whatever. Yeah. Um, actually, I suggested the very first project they work on, um, which is now known as Harmonizer. Um, nice. So originally, I uh, just before the pandemic, I'd created some software called Skigair um which is an irish word and it was for filtering amr right and as part of wait that, wait actually, irish for what irish for what it need a translation oh i don't know uh it might be filter i can't remember obscure irish words <laughs> that is, okay. is okay for google you know um yeah but as part of that you know i'd written some very pretty uh, python for parsing the outputs mm. of lots of different amr programs and putting them into a single uh you know construct Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, actually, this would be really good for BioPython, you know? You know, some kind of yeah. single really you you didn't matter what AMR program you used, you could just kind of slot them in and then you could use them and it would be quicker to write scripts. And this is exactly, you know, what this kind of working group um would, would find very useful. And so very quickly, you know, uh the group was like, Yeah, this is awesome. And uh so they pulled together, you know, some software, hobbled it together, built uh, you know, a whole system around it. And you know, that's a very useful output to be able to take any Absolutely. output from an AMR program uh, because they're all totally, totally different and have more unified outputs at the other end. Uh, just it makes scripting easier. And then the second things we went along and did were things like, I think uh, SARS-CoV-2 came along at that point, you know, and obviously uh, the big thing was, well, there's no uh, universal metadata standards, uh, con- contextual metadata standards for SARS-CoV-2. There was... Yeah, there were some generic virus ones and, and pathogen uh, checklists and things like that, but we really needed something to drill down, you know, because, uh, you know, you could tell even at that time SARS-CoV-2 was going to be like the pathogen that would be sequenced mm. more than anything else in the world. And it's been sequenced tens of millions of times at this point. And uh, yeah, so that's what they, they got out, you know, they got out a drill down 
practical uh, specification. You know, this is what it looks like in NCBI. This is EBI. This is what it looks like in, in JizAid. And, you know, really set out, this is what we should be doing so the whole world can move in the same direction. And it got adopted um, uh, broadly internationally, which is really cool. And it's a real key output, I think, of uh, of that committee, or sorry, of, the, of that working group, you know, to actually direct, uh, you know, the biggest challenge of our time. Absolutely. And even on our side with Fijian, we were working with U.S. public health labs, navigating all the different databases from GISA to SRA to Biosample and GenBank and all the like is quite difficult when there's not a map in front of you. So I think the working group helped to lay out that map and define what is critical, what is recommended, how to actually get this data into which database and all the like. So it provided a guidance, a template, a scaffolding for laboratories to, to quickly submit the most critical information about uh, the samples that they're collecting and sequencing. Um, and then you mentioned Emma Griffith, uh, the chair, maybe co-chaired with also Finn McGuire. And was there another one at the, before yeah. that? Or uh, I think Dave Larnison was a chair at one point. Oh, okay. um, yeah. But yeah, Finn was in effect, you know, chair, deputy chair. Yes. Okay. And, and worth noting, both uh, Emma and Finn and data structures being just a crazy prolific working group across uh, the phage consortium. Because, yeah. yeah, if you want to say something on that, it's just amazing how many, uh, you know, like you said, practical. I, I, I feel like a fraud because before the pandemic, I did attend all the meetings and then pandemic hit. And obviously, you know, I was uh, redeployed yes. to work on, on that stuff. So I dropped off pretty quick. Uh, but I've kept, you know, up with uh, some of the stuff they do. And it is fantastic. And one of the reasons is just having a good, strong chair with a set you know, tempo. So every two weeks I'd have a meeting, you know, like clockwork. And it was very, you know, like not talking for the sake of talking, but actually getting stuff done. And that's the difference. You know, some committees are very technical focused and it's just like, yeah, we know the problem. We're just going to work towards that. And then it's mm -hmm. just about hurting people in the same direction. And actually what I love about some of the papers that have come out from this working group is you know, there'll be authors from like 20 different institutions spread out across the world. You don't get that on papers like that. That's a rarity, you know? This is yeah. not just at the university saying, oh yeah, we've made up a standard. It's like people from all the major institutions and labs around the world saying, actually, no, we've gotten together, we've discussed it, and this is how we're going to do it. And so that means mm -hmm. there's immediate acceptance and immediate um, weight to, uh, to, the, to the value of it. I think that's something Emma has done incredibly well. In in given how prolific she's been and how uh, that working group specifically has kind of set the tone for a lot of how the other working groups have acted, definitely the one that I chair, uh, in being community-driven, getting the feedback as quickly as possible, getting an international perspective in all the different initiatives. Um, yeah, it gives us a precedent on how to act and what is effective for the works that we're trying to do. I would even go way even beyond that. I have just immense gratitude for Emma's perspective and what she helped me to do on our working group, because when I first joined as a chair, as I mentioned, I felt a bit you know, out of place in being able to lead those kinds of meetings. But I got a one on one meeting with uh, Emma, actually, I guess one on two with Jamie Southgate and I. We spoke to Emma and we were looking at what your guys' working group was, was doing. We said, how the heck do you do this? How do you have a group of all volunteers, make it effective, hold people accountable and kind of keep driving the ship forward? And she gave us some really just practical advice, like what you mentioned, just almost religiously meet two weeks, even if there's no updates, just make sure you're meeting so you can have that, that continuity of conversation going on um, and then putting out on paper what the plan is, how you're going to act and what you want to do. And I, that, those simple, those things that seem so simple, it was really nice to get that 
uh, from Emma and her perspective, because we employed that to the T uh, on the pipelines and visualizations working group. And so when I came in in terms of the products and focus that, that we were looking at was primarily for the past two years, SARS-CoV-2. And the way we utilized our working group, we had a group of technical practitioners from around the world. And we we started with just meeting every two weeks. Let's all discuss for two weeks what's happening, what's going on in your lab. And then there's kind of a natural progression of what started happening every week is, you know, Richard Neer was also in the working group, Danny Park and, and myself and a bunch of other, you know, oh, uh, Peter and Houston, of course. And we were all discussing the same challenges. It was like, oh, okay, that's a challenge you're working with, but either at your lab or collaborators lab. And then, so what we just started to do with SARS-CoV-2 is, okay, well, let's define what are the critical challenges. And it was even something as simple as, okay, the first challenge laboratories are going to face is once you generate Amplicon data for SARS-CoV-2 genomes, how do you generate a consensus assembly? And then from there, how do you call variants? Or rather before that, maybe how do you trim the primers? And then how do you call the variants? And then how do you ensure there's not reference inclusion? And then how do you do pangolinage? All these things. It was really just what are the major challenges? And then from that, we can kind of look at that all as a group and think, what are the current solutions to address each of those challenges? And then we put that out. And then what kind of naturally emerged was a guidance document where we can hand to laboratories that were starting up the same kind of initiative. They didn't have to start from scratch. They didn't have to kind of dig the literature and, you know, weave their ways into technical forums and communities. They could look at this guidance document and know, oh, okay, the first thing I'm going to need to do is ensure I can do consensus assembly, primer trimming, variant calling, et cetera, and they can go off and running. And we found this really valuable. We would distribute this. We made it available on GitHub Markdown, um, and then we made it, allowed it to be sort of a living document. And so we did that for a number of different things uh, during the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. For example, when uh, the Omicron variant first emerged, we quickly got the heads around uh, in our technical community. What is the Omicron variant? Why is it important? The oddities of the, the, the genomic relatedness, um, the potential input impact on public health. Let's get that all documented down and then put out another guidance document. When recombinant lineages were, were you know, top of mind for a lot of laboratories, let's define exactly how you define a recombinant lineage, how you validate it and assess it and all the like. And so we kept that model. And then now what we started to do is use that same approach for other pathogens of public health concern. Now we have a working group, for example, that's focused on influenza. We have one focused on TB. We have one focused on enterics and all these other pathogens where they're as specialists in those uh, specific pathogens. They're just defining what is the critical challenges and what are the solutions available. So it's almost like a mini lit review. And it, it's created a little system uh, of quickly getting these kinds of resources out there uh, to the field. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, like we're only on two of the different uh, working groups, so there's lots of other ones. Yes. And they yes. you know, obviously look at totally different areas, which is really kind of cool. Like Phage is a really, really valuable resource there for, for the world. And uh, hopefully it'll continue for many years to come. But uh, yes. I think that's all we have time for now. And uh, we'll maybe come back next week and we'll discuss the very first Phage conference. Absolutely. And for anyone listening to this, if they're interested in joining Learning More, we can turn them just to the Phage website. It's uh, P-H-A-4-G-E. I think they have the .com. Am I right on that? Let me just make sure. .org. .org. Oh, .org. Thank you. All right. And then they can join either our working groups or the others uh, from there. And we'll get to the next episode.